In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, Scripture says this, He makes everything work out according to His plan. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This is our final message in the series, Living with Integrity. Today, we'll survey Joseph's experiences to discern how God, through His providence, uses hardship in our lives to fulfill His purpose. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. God's the same. People are the same. That's how we can read stories of real people written thousands of years ago, and they're relevant to us today, just like Joseph. Today we conclude our series, our survey of the life of Joseph, which has been called Living with Integrity. And I hope we've examined ourselves to see whether we have integrity, whether what we say we believe and what we show we believe are compatible or consistent. This morning's message is entitled Providence. Who knows what providence means? God's protective care. God's protective care. That's a piece of it. Who else has another one? Say y'all are quiet. I should just say every answer is correct. <laughs> I didn't hear all of that. Events for happen for his purpose. That's close. That's close. And I think providence is the overarching theme of Joseph's life. Now we've we probably spent several weeks talking about relationships, haven't we? Resentment about um, reconciliation, forgiveness, and that has been a major portion of the life of Joseph. But I think the theme is still providence. But you decide whether you agree. Providence is similar. It's related to sovereignty. But providence is an action by God, something he does in sustaining our world and arranging our lives. See, this world doesn't just operate it, operate automatically. God sustains the world. In fact, the scripture says explicitly that Jesus upholds and sustains in Colossians and in Hebrews. Now, sovereignty is an attribute of God's. And it refers to his authority to rule and to control the world. So the two of them are similar, but you can see it this way. Providence is the way God works out his sovereign will in our lives and in our world. Sovereign is something he is. Position. Providence is something he does. Practice. The theme I've chosen from Ephesians chapter 1, you can take out your outline if you, have, if you have it there, if you haven't already, says he makes everything work out according to his plan. Do you believe that? Be careful. Because there are really big implications if you believe that. We see that God worked his will through Joseph's life. And he does through ours as well. Do you remember the story? I'm going to just do a helicopter flight over the, all of jo, uh, Joseph's story. But we'll only read a few of the passages. And I'll just summarize some others just to bring you, if you missed some of the messages, to bring you up to date. You remember that Joseph grew up in what we would call a dysfunctional family. There was intense sibling rivalry. In fact, there was sibling resentment. There was favoritism displayed by the father. It resulted in anger and jealousy among the sons. Joseph just seemed to be oblivious, didn't he? And it seemed unwise that the father, Jacob, sent Joseph, who he should have known was resented by the other brothers, to check on his brothers wearing his fancy robe. 
That fancy robe called a coat of many colors in the King James and on Broadway. I think it was the Technicolor dream coat on Broadway, wasn't it? But the fact that it had these long sleeves and it was long in the body, what it screamed to his brothers was, I'm not tending sheep like the rest of you are. So Jacob sends Joseph. He should have been smart enough to wear something a little more modest, but he didn't. And so he went to check on his brothers who were away pasturing the sheep. Genesis 37, 12 through 17. And so then we turn to Genesis 37. You can turn there. If you're using this Bible that's available at Brookwood, it's page 34. Those of you who have an old-fashioned form of the Bible with these little pages and all, you'll be ahead of those who are reading on their phone. Because all you have to do is flip a page or two as we skim through. They'll have to type away very fast. Genesis 37, verse 23, we begin. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Remember, they saw him in the distance and said, why don't we kill him? Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. Genesis 42 tells us that, Jake, that Joseph was down in that cistern crying out, pleading for mercy. Now Judah suggested and the brothers agreed that Joseph shouldn't be killed. I mean, why should we sell him? We have to cover it up. Why don't we, you know, put a little change in our pockets and get rid of him at the same time? So he suggested that Joseph be sold as though that was more merciful. And so they sold him to traders who took him down into Egypt. Genesis 37, 26 and 27. But what we're going to see is how God worked his providential plan over Joseph's life in Egypt. We're going to see how God worked specifically through the difficulties that descended on Joseph's life. And my hope is that we will see how God's using those hardships in our lives as well. The first way God works through hardships is that suffering strengthens faith. In Egypt, we know that Joseph was purchased by Potiphar, who was captain of, the, of Pharaoh, the king's guard. Genesis 39. He was, remember how old? Who? How old? 17. You remember being 17? Doesn't seem that long ago. <laughs> it looks long ago if you look watching. But it doesn't seem that long ago. Y'all know a few weeks ago, some friends of mine from who were friends of mine from, some of them from elementary school, others from junior high, others from high school, some from college. You know, it, it, it didn't seem that long ago. But if you can reflect on being 17, you remember how inexperienced, how naive you were. So at 17 years old, Joseph became a slave in a foreign and particularly a pagan, an idolatrous country. So this teenager lost his freedom and he lost his family. Now you may say, well, he ought to be glad to get away from them. But, you know, there's a whole lot of us in this room that grew up in dysfunctional families and we didn't know how bad it was. Is that true? I'm sure he didn't either. So he lost his freedom. He lost his family. He lost his community, his relatives, but he did not lose his God. And in his pain, he developed greater intimacy with God. Genesis 39, at verse 2. Look how it starts there. T read me the first few words there. Now, verse 1 says he was taken to Egypt. He was bought by Potiphar. But, but God wants us to know right in the beginning that despite the fact that he's now sold into slavery, the Lord was with Joseph. 
Because a lot of times we judge the presence of God, the blessing of God by our circumstances, don't we? And so if my circumstances are not what I would like to have, by definition, that means God has abandoned me. But God wants us to understand that that's not what it means at all. The Lord was with Joseph. Did Joseph know it? I think he knew it. Yeah, he knew it. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed it. He realized, Potiphar, this, the scripture says, realized that the Lord was with Joseph. How did he see it? What did he see? He saw it in his actions. Maybe he read it in his demeanor. This kid is a Hebrew slave in Egypt. There was something about his outward behavior that Potiphar could recognize revealed the presence of God to a man who didn't believe in Jehovah God. And he could understand, he saw that it was Joseph's God that was giving him success in everything he did. Verse 4, this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of the master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's, for Joseph's sake. But for whose purpose? For God's purpose. For God's purpose. What's going on in your life? Whose purpose is being carried out? All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. Joseph's imprisonment caused suffering, created insecurity and vulnerability, separated from family, friends, out of his community that he was familiar with. Here in Egypt, he had only God. But he learned God is enough. Anybody here learned that God is enough? How would you have described teenage Joseph? Arrogant. Arrogant? That's, a, that's appropriate. What else? Some synonyms. Self-centered. Maybe narcissistic, but at the very least, unaware, naive. He was probably not even aware how arrogant he truly was. You know anybody like that? <laughs> because the more self-centered you are, the more narcissistic you are, the less sensitive you are toward other people's perception of you. But Joseph learned to rely on God. And it was evident to others. Pharaoh saw what God was doing in this and through this young man. I don't want to minimize the harshness of enslavement, but just to, to make a bridge to our lives for application. Is your freedom constrained? Is it constrained by your employment, a job you don't enjoy? Or the job's okay, but the boss is terrible. A boss that you, who is overbearing, that you don't really like. Are you enslaved? Are you limited by just a lack of financial resources? That can feel like being a captive. Health limitations. That's very, very much applicable, isn't it? Or the need to care for someone with health limitations. But in your experience of captivity, of deprivation, of enslavement in a sense, do you experience 
the comforting, strengthening presence of God. Do you? In your suffering. Now you may have to learn to look to God. Because I think, I only know about American Christianity to some degree. It seems to me American Christianity is far too dependent on pleasant circumstances. And when our circumstances abandon us, we think God's abandoned abandon us as well. You think that's true? Now faith, there's a Greek word faith, some of you may know it. I know Josh and Ed know it, but they're going to be quiet. Faith is a translation of a Greek word pistis or pistuo. But there's other English words that can be translated from the same Greek word. You have any of those? Belief comes from the same word. Trust comes from the same word. Reliance comes from the same word. Your favorite, persuasion, comes from the same word. All of these English words come from the same Greek word. But I would suggest that faith and all these other synonyms are developed through intimacy with God. And intimacy with God is intensified through suffering. And I question whether it grows at the same rate in any other way. Now you decide that. But when you grow in your faith, it will be apparent to others, just as Joseph's was. You know, years ago, I, I, you've heard my story, so if you'll indulge me a moment. I became a, a Christian, born again, as a senior in college. I went to church all my life. I knew all the stories. I knew all these stories that I've been preaching through. But I wasn't born again. But my mother was born again. My mother took us to church. There were no questions asked. We just got dressed on Sunday morning. College, college wasn't real hard for me, if you'll allow me that. I had a major that I could just cram the night before and grades were good. But what happened is I developed no good study habits and probably not much learning. So I moved off after college to law school. And it was not the same situation. And so in law school, I discovered just how dysfunctional and separated my family was, disconnection. So I was feeling tremendous pressure Alone, overwhelmed by the daily workload. And I don't know if the other students felt this, but I was, I was struggling every day to stay ahead. Or not to stay ahead, to, to keep up, I mean. Every day. And I, I cried out to God. I had never been in a place academically where I had, or really any other way where I had great need, great dependence. And I learned to cry out to God. Now, it may sound silly to you saying, you were crying out to God over your studies. I was fearful I wouldn't make it. And I felt like I was adrift, but, but crying out to God every day was, was like a, a life ring that, that kept me up. And I would remember and recite, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome this world. Another way that God uses hardship is that struggles develop skills. Joseph served Potiphar successfully for some number of years. It's not revealed 
And he was doing quite well until he caught the eye of this woman. And so Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He rebuffed her, rejected her, which resulted in her falsely claiming that this young man tried to rape her. Now that didn't go down well with Potiphar. Verse 36, verse 19 of chapter 39. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. That is a Hebrew word, hesed. It can be translated steadfast devotion, unfailing favor, And it was based on a prior relationship. So this is showing the constancy of God who has decided to love us in every situation we find ourselves. And so Joseph was doing pretty well in Potiphar's house, but now he's thrown into prison. But God is there as well. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Again, God will cause other people to notice your attitude. If you're in a tough place at work and you're handling it by faith, you're not over in the corner doing the grumbling and the fussing and the cussing and the complaining, other people will notice. And they'll become interested in your motivation. Verse 22. Before long, we, again, we don't know how long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. And look what it says again. The Lord was with him. And caused everything he did to succeed. That's how Joseph cried out. We see the power of the presence of God. Right now, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, are you experiencing the presence of God? Do you understand when I say intimacy with God, do you understand what that means? Do you know how to pursue it so that you can experience it? Because it means not only faith and comfort in his love, but it also means his blessing. He'll change you. He'll sustain you. He'll use you to influence others. Joseph had mastered running Potiphar's household. And I don't think it was a small household. He had other servants, obviously. He had animals. He had fields. But it had become a pleasant environment. He was given some limited freedom. And so God said, now it's time for another lesson. Now he would learn to practice these management skills under pressure, in prison, with no freedom, in a difficult environment, but again, aided by God. What determines how you view your life? Your circumstances or the presence of God? Because God sustained Joseph, but he also influenced the warden to view him favorably. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you are working in a job you really don't like? But you've got a mortgage, you've got kids, you've got, you can't walk away. And how many of you are exercising responsibilities that you don't enjoy at all. 
You know, after leaving law practice, I served on the staff of two churches, one very small church for two years, and then I went to seminary, and I came out of seminary, and I worked for four years on staff with Fenton Moorhead in Texas. But in both of those places, I never preached. I was an administrator. I directed programming. I, you know, managed staff, made sure the building was clean. I had all these administrative tasks, and that was almost all I did. And there were times when I thought, I should have just stayed in law. If I'm going to do this, I should have been practicing law. You know, at least I was trying cases instead of trying to make the janitor wax the floor appropriately. But can you see that God is developing competencies in you right now that he will use? And you may not be enjoying it. That's the point. And he'll, he'll influence others. Some of you are, 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 living in, are working in industries that have changed radically in the last two decades. Boy, those of you that are in the medical profession, the whole structure of it has changed. And it's become institutionalized and owned by very few. And you may have worked in a practice where you had a lot of freedom and it was enjoyable. But now you've got a quota and it is worse than working in a factory. And you thought, I wanted to help people. I don't have time to help people. I just go in there and say, stick out your tongue and give me your blood. I'm going to take your blood pressure. And then I'm running out. And, and that's happened in so many of our industries. But, but have you asked this question, what is God doing in me and through me? What abilities are being developed here that he has a plan for? Ephesians 6, you know this passage. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. He's writing to slaves. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. That doesn't mean every slave would get a promotion. But it says every faithful worker will get a reward. Are we willing to work with enthusiasm instead of with that bad attitude? Because when our attitude is bad in the job, we won't develop the skills and we certainly won't influence the people who are watching. A third way God uses hardship is that hardships develop humility. As he watched over the prison and the prisoners, Joseph had demonstrated the ability to interpret dreams. Now, he, actually, it was God's ability, and he did so for the Pharaoh's cupbearer and chief baker. His interpretations came true, and the cupbearer had his head lifted up. Remember the Hebrew? He was restored. And the baker had his head lifted up and removed. But I think Joseph got weak because he said to the cupbearer, when you get out of this prison, remember me because I don't deserve to be here. I didn't do anything wrong. And so would you say something to the Pharaoh, the king, so I can be released? Verse 23 of Genesis 40. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. You know, how many times have we relied on people to get us out of prison, to provide us a promotion, 
This guy owes me a favor. This guy's my friend. This person I did this for. This person will probably do, will certainly do something for me. And so we, we have relied on people that we can see and touch because God is less real and even less powerful in our minds than the people around us. But we're sure to be disappointed, to be humbled, maybe to be humiliated when like Joseph, Joseph, nothing happens, no one comes. And so he gave up and so do we. But even if that person delivers I wonder if it has diminished our faith because we decided that maybe God's okay for letting us in heaven, but he's really not much help on earth. And so we look for people in positions to pay us favor. Two years later, Pharaoh was disturbed by dreams that no one could explain. Pharaoh had magicians and he had wise men and all that, but that none of them could explain it. So then the cupbearer thought, hmm, I don't think he forgot Joseph, but now it might be to an advantage to mention Joseph. So he told the king about Joseph and Joseph was brought out of prison. The text in chapter 41 says he shaved himself and all washed himself and all that to, to appear before the king. Now, when he was asked by the Pharaoh about his ability to interpret dreams, Joseph didn't take any credit. Chapter 41, verse 16. It's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you you at ease. That doesn't seem wise, does it? I mean, what do they tell you? Promote yourself. Look for opportunities to advance. Where's this humility from? After interpreting Pharaoh's dreams about the coming famine, Joseph offered advice about how to survive. But he didn't even suggest that maybe he could help. I love it when you meet salespeople. And they tell you, I think maybe I could help you. Would you like me to help you? And it kind of feels like they're going to give you something. So what I've learned to say is, what will it cost? (laughs) Verse 33. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man. And put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. You can see Joseph's confidence and certainly his arrogance are long gone. He didn't even suggest he could be a help. But he knew the plan and he described it in detail. Collect during the next seven years, collect one fifth of all the crops, put them under guard and save them so that you can endure the famine. Verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of his dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. He sort of misunderstood. It was really all God, not much Joseph there. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. So Joseph, now at age 30, we don't know how many years in Potiphar's house and how many years in prison, but some part of that 11 years was split between those two locations. Because Joseph's now 30 and he gets this great promotion But there's a little fact that's mentioned in chapter 43 
And what it says is that the Egyptians despised Hebrews and would not even eat with them. So on one hand, Joseph has been elevated. On the other hand, he's detested. Imagine that. They want Joseph to save their lives, but they don't want to come anywhere near him. And they certainly do not want to eat with him. Are you mistreated by anyone? In a job? Disrespected? Overlooked? Not invited? Welcome to Joseph's world. And yet, in the midst of that environment, that hardship, can you discern what God is doing in you so he can do it through you? You know, pride always gets between us and God. Do you know that? Do you think there's some exceptions to that? None. Pride always gets between us and God. Prevents us from hearing God. Certainly prevents us from being led by God. And so sometimes in some of us, God has to break that pride. So we first will want to hear and then we'll be able to hear. Anybody remember the day God destroyed your pride? Your self-sufficiency. It looked like you were secure forever in that job, didn't it? How many of us have lost jobs? How many of us have lost relationships? How many of us have lost situations that we never thought would have been possible? And in that moment that felt like devastation and certainly disappointment, we heard God's voice. Maybe for the first time clearly. You know, I wanted to pastor right out of seminary. I mean, after all, I had practiced law. I had tried cases. I won my cases. I mean, I mean, come on. And so I'm thinking I'm going to pastor a church. But I'm going to tell you, you, you would be shocked at the awful churches that turned me down. <laughs> There's one in Greenville. Well, no, I don't, think it, I don't think it survived. One in Greenville said, oh, no, not you. And it didn't feel good because I thought I was somebody with something to give. And God knew I didn't have what I needed to be able to offer anything to hardly anybody. And so I went to, went to work as an administrator for a number of years. First Peter 5, look at this. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time. Who, who determines the right time? But why do we struggle so much to try to climb on up? He will lift you up in honor. You believe that? Yes. Well, then why do, we, why do we follow this worldly wisdom that says you need to advance yourself? You need to climb up. You need to climb over. You need to push them out of the way. God can work through hardships because problems fulfill God's purpose. Now there's the word can can be stuck in there. God can fulfill. Problems can fulfill God's purpose. Chapter 45. This is when Joseph identified himself at verse 4, the latter part. And he said again, he had to repeat it twice, they were so stunned. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Then skip to seven. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. He said it three times. 
And he is the one who made me an advisor, literally father to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Three times he said God is responsible for sending him to Egypt. Are any of you in Egypt today? Do you know that God is responsible? He is if you belong to him. Joseph's pain and his problems from enslavement at 17 to promotion at age 30 furthered God's plan. Now, see, when we read it, we just sort of can gloss over the top, can't we? Well, look at this. I mean, Joseph turned out beautifully. But I had to remind you that he was resented the whole time he had that post by the Egyptians. Another, another verse says that and they resent shepherds too. And all of them were shepherds. So even though they were protected and Joseph had this high position, the Egyptians looked down on them the whole time they were there. But because Egyptians disliked being near them, it protected their faith because they became isolated and it limited the idolatry they were exposed to. Some of our worst treatment is our, most great, is our greatest protection. More precisely, and furthermore, let me say this, 11 years is 11 years. We, we, we sort of don't have the ability to suffer a week, do we? Or a year. I hear, I hear my little boy calling, and he's been in a, a body cast now for about eight weeks. Can we suffer? 11 years is not a short time. And yet God was with him the whole time. And so wherever you are right now, unemployed, in facing a health problem, God is with you right now. In Joseph's life, it fulfilled God's covenant promise to his people. God promised Abram first, three things. He promised a homeland, land of Canaan. He promised many descendants, a nation, and that they would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's in Genesis 12. And then God restated those three promises to Isaac, Genesis 26, and then he repeated it to Jacob. You remember when, do you remember when he repeated it to Jacob? He was there at the stairway to heaven. And Led Zeppelin was nowhere in sight. <laughs> so God promised to preserve Abraham's line of children, to expand them into a nation, to give them their own place to live. But the famine threatened all of that. The famine threatened to end their line which would have broken God's promise. It's interesting that God reassured Jacob again in Genesis 46 at verse 3. I am God, the God of your father, the voice told Jacob. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt. That's not very positive, but... But Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. So there was the comfort. Jacob died in Egypt 13, 17 years later at the age of 147. But he was buried in the promised land. He had been there. He left it and he was returned after, after he passed. He was brought back. After Jacob's death, Joseph's brothers became fearful of him again. So they never did feel completely secure in this forgiveness, did they? But it brought up something, another change in them. Chapter 50, at verse 16. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, we don't know whether he said that or not. Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. 
for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. This is the first time they admitted sin to him. You say, well, you said that they admitted it before. They admitted it to themselves. They didn't know he spoke Hebrew. This is the first time they know who they're speaking and they communicated it to him. They knew their sin at this point. Sometimes God will bring a story full circle. Not always, but sometimes by the grace of God, he will. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept because they admitted their sins against him to him and they offered themselves as slaves. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me but God intended it all for good. That means God intended the pain, the suffering, the hardship, the difficulty for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Who did these brothers of his turn out to be? Do you know? Who were they? Yeah, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this Judah, who suggested he be sold, was an ancestor of Jesus himself. Well, do you believe God has a providential plan for your life? No, do you? No, do you? Because here's the thing. You need to hold that belief with some tenacity because there are many days it will be threatened and it might be the day you're living in right now. So let me ask one more time. Do you believe God has a providential plan for your life? Yes. How about a purpose for your pain? Yes. Oh, that was diminished there, wasn't it? <laughs> How about a purpose for your pain? Yes. See, you have to have this. You have to know this because the day of evil, the day of pain, the day of difficulty, the day of struggle, the day of hardship, it's either come or it's coming, the day of suffering. You say, but I'm not like the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm not part of God's covenant promise. I'm not in the family line of Jesus. Oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're a child of Abraham. You're in the covenant promise. In fact, Galatians 3 says that you're a child of Abraham by faith through adoption. Furthermore, extending this covenant promise to all the families on earth will only occur if you offer the good news of Christ to all you encounter. If we teach the truth of the gospel, if we train and influence people in Christian living. Look at the state of our culture. And it gives every indication that it's on a downhill slide with no brakes in sight. And you know where the preservation will come from? You know where the blessing of God will come from? Just like Joseph He'll do it through us. He will do it through us. So will you do your part? Will you? But what if it means that you experience suffering? Will you do it? What if you have to struggle? What if you have hardships? Sort of diminished down each time. What do you think? (laughs) I I want us to get accustomed to this understanding I don't know where our culture is going, but if it stays on the trajectory it's on now, a day of suffering comes for true believers. I want us to close out this service and this series with a statement of our faith from Romans 8.28. If you believe it, 
If you believe it, stand and let's, let's say it with some affirmation. Say, but say it like you believe it or don't say it at all, okay? And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Boy, we need that truth in this day, don't we? God, we believe, but help our unbelief. Use us for your glory. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, burn it into our lives. Give us awareness of what you are doing in us so we can cooperate as you work through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. In our next episode, we begin a new series called Praying Together Through. Renewal and revival are always preceded by a great passion for prayer among God's people. In this new series, let's encourage one another to grow in our individual prayer lives as we see God's movement in our church by praying together in one voice. We'll start by examining how Jesus himself prayed for unity in the church. To prepare for next week, read John chapter 17, verses 1 through 26. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll stay up to date with our new series, Praying Together Through. If you like what you hear, leave a review so others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. You can also watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or even search the message archives. Just visit brookwoodchurch.org watch to download the Brookwood Church app. To get connected at Brookwood, just email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.